present. Let's get it going. So, Conspiracy Corner, question everything with Marco Gambino. And uh, it is the vaccine special. Yeah, we did it. We did it. I decided to because it had to be done. End of the day, we got the re- uh, announcement of the vaccine released in the same week, the Friday the 13th in 2020. It's just had to be like there's no other way <laughs> i wouldn't be i wouldn't be deserves a corn podcast what i'd do if i didn't so uh yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump straight into it i'm gonna jump straight into it because i think it's something that just needs to be addressed i don't want to give any opinions on, on my situation it is not my responsibility to make you do whatever uh you want to do end of the day it's 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 your lives but you do also have to think about uh what has been going on so um yeah all right then let's get started so um obviously we've got this vaccine uh the announcement has been put out where i start is a man called is it sir john bell um yeah, he, he he made an announcement a while ago. So let's go into this because he's he kind of predicted that we would have or at least be in the like the last few phases of the um the vaccine trials um by autumn and he says that he believes that the British public will be fully vaccinated by Christmas. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, so um, with an express article uh, when they were speaking to Oxford University, uh, they spoke to Sir John Bell. So Sir John is a member of Sage, which is the scientific advisory group for emergencies. Uh, he sits on the government's vaccine task force uh, and that has negotiated the purchase of a handful of proposed vaccines to combat the virus. So uh, so yeah, so when they spoke when they spoken to Oxford University, they basically they've gone there to try and find out um what evidence he's got behind these claims and um the gist of the article it it doesn't really give too much insight um he just kind of comes to he's, he's basically saying that a change in the process of how vaccines are administered will be able to help how effective it is actually is and would enable it to result in what his predictions are so um he was saying that because of the intelligent minds of the vaccine industry that um the idea that they gave the the time frame of mid 20 uh, 2021 was basically to set foresight so to be like okay cool if someone wanted to borrow a tenner off you and they say okay cool i'll pay you back next friday but they pay you back on wednesday instead looks better on them doesn't it so it's kind of like basically doing something along those lines um so i i first saw this saw a study at the beginning of the week not study um first saw an article at the beginning of the week i'm pretty sure it was bbc and it was saying that 90 percent efficiency had been found in this covid test and when i looked into it it well looked on the article it said 94 candidates have been tested um now the ones that i've been reading have said more so uh in terms of some of the people I've spoken to at the beginning of the week, it looks like they were doing more of it. That it, I'm, I'm still curious to go into that, but this one is kind of just a cover of the vaccine. So let's just run through uh, the, the up-to-date information. So as of Tuesday, uh, 
the Scotsman uh, wrote an article um, by the writers called Matt Brooks. Um, he says, so on about the COVID vaccine, uh, which is shown to produce an immune response of 90% uh, efficacy from a trial involving 43,500 people, which is a bigger sample size. Obviously, it's not big enough to represent the full globe, but at least it's shown there's a big proce- uh, progress from what was originally out of 94 candidates. Um, I, I would like to see what the explanation for that is whether it's just too early or they took this they they took the the article early or wrote the article too late or anything along those lines i'd like to see just to make sure we've got the integrity of that information there so um the vaccine trials were conducted across six different countries uh mainly naming the us germany brazil argentina south africa and turkey and uh, they showed no concerns over safety looks good uh well to me that says that's all right it's it's a decent range of um national demographics i think obviously you've got the us you've got germany and europe and then you've got brazil and argentina and south america going to south africa and then you got turkey that's in the middle east i suppose so it's like um you're doing a decent range i'd be interested to see who they tested in south africa because i don't see any other countries in africa and um yeah so yeah anyway um it's used on a number on, on a limited number of people uh could be around the corner uh with pfizer and partners biotech uh, which is a tech company that has been working with pfizer to uh help out the va- help out with the vaccine and how it will be administered um set to apply for emergency approval to use a vaccine by the end of november Interesting. So uh, those, so the emergency approval stuff. Um, as I've looked into it, it's similar to what we looked at in my last video about the PPE stuff. So obviously, in the case of a global emergency, you can fast track things and get them through without having to go to the same sort of vet, and people can be picked. Uh, so yeah. So based on, um, I think it, it, it'll explain it in a little bit. And based on some of the little processes they have to go through like regulatory boards and stuff that's how they can get then get it forwarded and to go ahead so um how does the vaccine work this i found very interesting so uh the type of vaccine developed by pfizer and biotech is uh, known as a messenger so an rna vaccine um unlike conventional vaccine conventional vaccines mrnas do not use a weakened version of the vaccine to stimulate immunity but use the virus's genetic code instead that i think is really cool i think that's really cool if you can break it down on on a molecular level without it being the activated virus cells of the actual organism they've used the genetic code to actually try and find a way to maybe set up enough of the um of the present cell to then do something well well, let's let's go through so uh once the mrna vaccine is injected uh it enters the cells and tells them to create antigens these antigens are recognized by the immune system and help it to prepare to fight off coronavirus because mrnas do not use the virus in their production this means the vaccines can be produced much faster and cheaper than a conventional vaccine that's cool i'd like to see obviously what then this means for long term if if you know you've gone through a normal process of usually using the live well, the live or a dead version of the virus dormant version of the virus to use um to treat people with vaccines if that's been the process that's always been using it and they've always been using and it's been working 
then I'd like to see what the deal would be with this one and the long-term effects because um, end of the day, there's no point having a vaccine that just sorts you out for summer. Like it's, it's not going to be effective in the, in the scheme of a pandemic, is it? But, um, but then that's also just speculation as well. I'm just asking the question. Uh, like I said, question everything. So yeah, so let's go further. So, um, so yeah, so if I haven't already mentioned, some expert scientists do believe that um, it is going to be safer. I think it did say it. But so who are Pfizer? Pfizer are the ones that told you to take the blue pill. <laughs> Erectile dysfunction. You all know them. Viagra. Pfizer are the ones who originally created Viagra, still running strong, and I think it's been 22 years since its original creation. Um, so in recent years, uh, the pharmaceutical giant has been largely focused on oncology, inflammation and immunology, vaccines and rare diseases. Uh, last year, Pfizer acquired Array Biopharm, uh, Array, Bi Array Biopharma, sorry, uh, to amplify its oncology-related portfolio. Uh, they also acquired Therashon, uh, which is a special which specialized in developing rare disease treatments cool um, the next step is to go to the FDA to gain emergency use use authorization but before that it has already it has already started to manufacture the vaccine uh, Pfizer says that it hopes to provide up to 50 million doses worldwide before the end of 2020 with a further 1.3 billion in 2021 okay so um Going off on that, so like obviously that short process thing, that this is when I'm going to go into some of the documents that I was looking at as well and some medical research stuff. Um, a document put onto The Lancet, uh, so www.thelancet.com. You can go on there, find loads of different medical research articles and different journals from people. And uh, this one is about the efficacy uh, of the, the coronavirus, so the efficiency, how, how well it, it actually treats what it's going in there to do. So, um, first thing that it says about is vaccine planning. So it's the three main things that you have to think about and have to look at before you can plan on a vaccine effectively. So, uh, one is whether to, uh, whether to demand not only proof of some vaccine efficacy, but also proof of worthwhile efficacy. So worthwhile efficacy is what I was basically saying about, there's no point in having you, having it treat you for whatever over summer for it to then kick your ass in winter. Um, two, whether the initial trials of vaccine against placebo should prioritize not only single vaccine trials, but also multi-vaccine trial. Uh, a multi-vaccine trial is, is when multiple people are developing different, uh, different vaccines at the same time. So, um, if you've got vaccine CV01, uh, and you're just using that one on the public, that would be a single vaccine trial. But if you had CV01 all the way up to five and they're running five separate trials at the same time, that is then basically a multi-vaccine trial. Literally what it says in the title. I don't even know why I even have to explain that. <laughs> but there you go, guys. Uh, whether to assess safety, protection against severe disease and duration of protection by continuing blinded follow-up of the vaccine and placebo groups after definite evidence of short-term efficacy has emerged, but before an effective vaccine has been deployed locally in the general population. Um, that was the third one. Uh, so I'll just jump straight back into it. But um, 
yeah so that's ba basically having to look at um how safe the vaccine actually is so is the vaccine going to end up causing any problems later on um is it going to, are they going to cause any side effects any any infections and how protected are you actually going forward into the second stages of a vaccine or a an implementation of a drug that you aren't effectively sure of yet so you need the proof of the first um short-term uh, results from the candidates that have come through at the beginning as long as they show good then the thing can carry on before the actual vaccine can then be given out into the general public um so uh, some stuff for around like the who and things that how, how they've been what they say about um what a successful uh vaccine should be uh the criteria for a successful vaccine in the initial clinical trials of vaccination versus placebo need to be strict enough to protect against the risk of a weakly effective vaccine being deployed, uh, especially since there are already many candidate vaccines against COVID-19 to be tested. So um, I saw there's a few, there's one that uh, I think it resembles the TB virus. There's ones that are coming from swine flu, ones that are coming from SARS. They're doing loads of different versions at the, at, at the time being from what I've seen from one of the other documents as well. So there's tons of different versions that are actually being tested at the moment. Um, it's interesting why, how, well, how Pfizer and stuff have kind of come to the forefront and being blown up here in the UK. Um, I'd like to hear more about some of the other ones in the general public to see if there is going to be a, a, a range of vaccines available rather than just going straight for this Pfizer one. But um, but yeah, we'll see in it. So uh, two of these COVID COVID nineteen uh, tests. Um, this is just some some comments and notes on uh, the test going on at the moment. Two of the Biden tests I, I may present chances to overestimate the efficacy. The the initial trials comparing the COVID nineteen vaccines versus the placebo. Uh, need to seek reliable evidence, not only of some efficiency, but of worthwhile efficiency, once again. Um, so yeah, those those ones with the, um, the chance to overestimate. I originally, when I was reading through this one, I thought that might be those the, the one that said about 94 people, because that one said 90%, which breaks down to, I think it's like 84 points something or other, but um, even if it's 84 people that have been right out of that, that's not representative of the public, like, especially in the UK. So, um, there's no way that that would be representative to be able to show any form of good efficacy if only 94 people uh, have been tested. So um, that could show chances to overestimate because if you're looking at that and going, oh, well, 90% were able to, were able to survive off this, da, 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 they give it to those 94 people after they've given it to those 94 people, sorry, and then they start giving it to the public and it turns out of those 94 people, maybe 70% of them had type A, uh, type A blood, and type A blood um, helped the vaccine blend better. So when they get rolled out into public, they then find out people with type O blood have maybe a reaction to it or something. You, or maybe they're the ones that are in the smaller percent. There, There's just something that may be a reason as to why it could be blurred for looking at efficacy later on. Um, so yeah, so here's some extra dangers of poor efficacy. I might have just run, run over one of them already, but uh, political and economic pressures for a COVID-19 vaccine could lead to widespread deployment of a vaccine that is in reality only weakly effective, perhaps because of a misleadingly promising result from an un, uh, underpowered trial. 
the one that I just said, basically. Yeah. So um, nobody wants to end up queuing up for how goddamn long. And obviously, queue is not the worst bit, is it? But um, to then end up getting an injection and boom, you come back out and everyone's still getting sick again. It's it would be a complete mistrust and and um, this an issue with that is that it would then affect public opinion coming forward for any vaccines later on. Like if you've got obviously there are people who are very strong about anti-vaccination beliefs and and things along those lines, and uh, I don't want to shit on anyone's parade, but. There is a there is a lot of evidence that vaccines do work, and but there also is a lot of evidence that there is some shit in some some vaccines and some bad things have happened, and especially in clinical trials of them. So everyone has at least some form of an argument for what they're standing for. Like it's just that when people do jump on the bandwagon with facts rather than concepts, you find that a lot of people will just scream, "Well, this has this, this has that, this has that," and they haven't actually dug into it to understand. The true concept of why it may need some form of metal or may need some form of something else. Deployment of a marginally effective vaccine could get in the way of the assessment of other vaccines as well. So it's not just shit ones that would be a problem, just bang average ones that may be only protected or helps 40 to 60% of the population. They could be just as dangerous as the uh, as the low ones because they could be compared with compared to the future vaccines that will come. So then that would just end up being the benchmark. And uh, it once once again goes back to the one with the blurred results. If you've got that as the benchmark and it works poorly, you might just have a vaccine after that that's just a little bit better. It hasn't hit the range enough because you thought that one worked well. Um, for a vaccine superior to the weekly effective vaccine, the increased sample size required could delay recognition of its poor efficacy. Um, <coughs> sorry guys, I need a vaccine already. <laughs> uh, so what they recommend uh, I've got a little chart here which um, shows why randomised controls across the world in multiple um, trials is the most effective way uh, let me just zoom into that a bit so why have a, an international randomised controlled trial of several candidates uh, why should you have an international randomised controlled trial of several candidate vaccines got it in the end um so first little bar uh, so they've got basically got four different main key points which are then rolls on to their results and what and the, and the benefit for it so uh, the first one you've got evaluate several different candidate vaccines so like i said um if you've got vaccine cv01 through to cv04 you, you're at least looking at the three of them at the same time um or all in the same time frame simultaneously um, so it second bit uh, it protects it permits selective vaccines to enter the trial uh, whenever ready so um, if you had other ones that are still in development you've then still got people who have come forward for that clinical trial you may have people on a waiting list uh, you may have people who haven't responded to one and you've put them on their three-month break or whatever to have their detox and then you think maybe this response maybe this one might work better with your genetic makeup um, Vaccine selection for trial uh, for trial assessed using a priori cat a prior prior criteria <laughs> um, because obviously you're looking at multiple vaccines at the same time. You know 
what you're looking at, what you're looking for. Um, if one's targeting a more aggressive form of the actual virus, then you're already where you've got that one covered. Maybe you're looking for one to cover um, maybe the ones that uh, lose taste or the ones that lose their smell or the ones that just have more asymptomatic responses than the ones that have the aggressive uh, immune response. The uh, vaccines selected for trial are um, eligible for testing at some sites. So um, the eligibility for the trial, so the sites that they're talking about is obviously in different nations. So if you have got different demographics, then you can you may be targeting maybe three out of the five there, but you can still because they're all being tested some elsewhere, they can be interchanged uh, across each different site. Um, so this all increases the likelihood of finding several different effective vaccines, which is the best one. Uh, also, economically and politically, it means nations and businesses cannot hold a grip on the world's nutsack over a coronavirus vaccine. If you've got multiple going that, multiple going that are effective, there would have to be a standardized pricing, there has to be standardized regulation to ensure that it gets around so that there is fully trained immunity across the whole planet. Um, so on to the second point, we've got expeditiously, expeditiously enrolls participants at sites with high rates of COVID. Um, this, is, this was my favorite bit of it, basically finding the most infected spots, uh, like small heath, <laughs> most infected spots, and um, basically then targeting them and going, we're gonna run the trials here. Great, because then you've already got your um, your sample environment of people who are there that have the disease. You, you don't have to then go around asking people to sign away the waivers and then do it. I think that that is, that is an effective way of making sure that you can actually start eliminating a number of that area and then looking over a period of time, maybe a month, three months, maybe even a year of how the rate of infection has dropped over a period of time. Um, so yeah, so the flexible mix of fixed sites and mobile pop-up sites spread out around the area to keep the, the logistics good so that you don't end up having, having cross-contamination or a lot of people being in the same area that could potentially blur figures. Um, sufficient enrollment to assess efficacy and safety of all vaccines. Um, so yeah, so that's just basically the, the, the number. The number of people involved, like I was saying before, I thought it had been 94 from the article I read, read originally to, for the, to them being now by the 10th, uh, well, today's the 13th of November. But today, by the 13th, the articles that I've managed to find have said 48, um, 48,000. So um, the bigger the number, uh, the the more available subjects for the tests and just the wider range of demographic you're gonna be able to see. So you're gonna be able to know if um, maybe me, like me, Nigerian, Italian, uh, maybe the, like they said, black people and Asian people are supposedly more susceptible to coronavirus. Um, and I'm not sure whether that actually confirmed whether that was genetic or if it was because of, living in more tight-knit communities that'd be an interesting one to look at actually but um not for this one anyway uh, yes yeah, so adaptive design uh, accommodates unanticipated circumstances so um so adaptive design so yeah so you you being able to actually be on you're on a site where you've been able to set that up you've looked at your area you've looked at how high uh, the infection rates are and you can say okay maybe for this site 
um, there aren't as many people that are going to have to come in so we can have a smaller setup. Uh, same later, same in a different uh, situation with a higher risk, you can then have more. Uh, so in the event of a lot of people coming in, you're still prepared because you've got multiple different sites all with resources so that if you do have a massive influx of people that, that are ill, you can then at least tackle it. Um, so that results in rapid accumulation of data to support the rigorous evaluation um, overall, over all the sites. Um, third point, it eliminates the inefficiency of designing and conducting separate trials. Um, each site helps assess vaccines uh, in parallel. So if you've got a vaccine going three years ago and one going now, the range of time that has been can allow so much more debate and so much more issue around the around the efficiency of something. Uh, having it all running at the same time means that you can actually test and compare to be able to know whether or not the um, CV012 is better than CV011. Like um, you can then control the control the groups. Say I want ten people in this group, ten people in that group. I'm going to match their demographics. Five from Warsaw, five from Warsaw, five from Wolverhampton, da, 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 and do two different and two different vaccine tests. You then have an active vision, active vision from to to base your hypothesis on that you can say this vaccine works better in this situation, and you have had the control group testing the other vaccine to find out whether or not it does. Um, the shared placebo group uh, increases efficiency and attractiveness. Attractiveness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can't buy happiness in a vaccine, guys. I mean, beauty. <laughs> and uh, if placebo can no longer be used, uh, another vaccine becomes com comparator. Yeah, so um, once again, going back to the, the bit that we're saying about having multiple vaccines that you can compare, if one flops, you can then replace it easier. So uh, results within six, three to six months after each vaccine is ready for inclusion. That looks pretty good. Um, obviously, you've got multiple tests going on at the same time. You can have have a look at each and every one after six months, and then see the results of each and every uh, each and every test for each and every candidate that's been involved. Very good, and it it's it's just it increases productivity. Maybe, maybe not as much, maybe not increasing efficiency in the range of if you were just working out as a sum. Um, because obviously if you've got 100 people for your clinical group, the most efficient process for any vaccine would be to test 100 people on each vaccine. But unfortunately you can't, so you'd have to split the five into 20, so it's not as efficient, but productivity-wise, you're having five vaccines tested. So um, if you just want, if you want to go into like the economic mass of it, I think it's a much more productive approach to tackling something that we've struggled so hard actually knowing anything about. Um, so yeah, so that, that's the selected design process for the WHO Solidarity Vaccine Trial. Um, that's the whole one doing the multi-vaccine testing. So uh, the idea is that rather than giving individual trials for each vaccine, a global multi-vaccine trial with a shared control group could provide more rapid and reliable results. Plus, use of established clinical trial infrastructure can save time and effort, accelerating the needed discovery of several safe and effective vaccines. So what they mean by clinical trial infrastructure is, uh, for example, like the NHS, uh, if they're running clinical trials, 
Um, there's another one called Covance, which is up in the north of Manchester. They do clinical trials. You've already got that infrastructure. That they have a process. They have buildings. They have assets for running these uh, and staff and resources for running these programs. So if you're going through routes of multiple nations, you don't have to develop a massive one specifically just for what you're doing. You can use sites that are already active for running clinical trials anyway. Um, obviously making it a ton more effective, saving a hell of a lot more money and saving a lot more time and general resources. So uh, a larger number of test result, uh, test subjects in a flexible trial design across hundreds of high infection study sites could yield results uh, and show effective thing, show how effective each vaccine is within just a few months of including that vaccine. Um, so reliable evidence is also needed about longer term efficacy, vaccine safety and protection against severe COVID-19 because there's no point having a short term vaccine. Um, so and so they need to continue trials over a longer period of time and see whether the vaccine can make COVID-19 more hazardous, which is called disease enhancement or whether it can actually beat it over a longer period. Um, I saw bits saying about it being a three stage vaccine. So they'll be giving the first stages um and then a few months later you get second apparently that's when the 90 percent started showing their um positive signs um where that's that it was after the second vaccine from the stuff that i've read so um seems all right like if you can run that in six months that had yeah fair enough um so anyway, let's go on. Uh, a small number of trials that assess only immunological endpoints cannot provide this evidence uh, because young or otherwise healthy adult volunteers might not provide sufficient evidence. Very fair point. We've seen how fast it affected the elderly um, and have people having comorbidities. If you've got a population like Sweden and Denmark who have... I think they've got some of the lowest um, rates of heart attacks and stuff. They're generally healthy people. Um, and then you do all your tests over there. And then you go to New Orleans in America where you've got kidney disease, liver disease, heart disease, obesity, and start doing the test there. It's going to be a completely different thing. So I guess it's not going to provide sufficient evidence for everybody if everybody's health and stuff is completely different. Um so like on those, that's on the small trials. So that's why you want to do multi. Um, lack of a mix wouldn't provide safety or fixing of the populations either. Uh, there's no point running all your tests in India to then go and bring your vaccine to Spain. It's People may say, oh, no, no, you can't say that. We're all human. Yes, we are. But it's also been shown that different blood types and different DNA and different genes have had different responses to different medications in the past. So um, while you're doing the trial process, you can't guarantee that it's gonna have an effect without testing that full demographic. So you'd need to do those tests over that full board rather than testing one to then implement in another. Um, Multi-vaccine trials can determine directly whether particular vaccines have adverse effects uh, not shared by other vaccines. Um, evaluation of multiple COVID-19 vaccines with a standardized methodology will help keep it regulated correctly and deployed correctly over the globe in a standardized practice. Like I was saying before, making sure nobody can monopolize and uh, essentially just selfishly profit off something that 
has actually completely crippled the planet. So, um, unless such decisions are informed by reliable randomized evidence, the effects on public acceptance of COVID-19 vaccines could adversely affect COVID-19 control and the uptake of vaccines against WHO's solidarity vaccines trials. Uh, they aim to evaluate efficiently and rapidly within three to six months of each vaccine's introduction to the study, the efficacy of multiple vaccines. Um, helping to ensure that weakly effective vaccines are not deployed into uh, the general population. So seems like a good good process, seems like something that you would expect from the World Health Organization. Uh, there's been a lot of slip-ups and a lot of stuff that um, has been repeated by them and passed on through to governments, but uh, let's not get into the WHO's fuck-ups. Let's, let's keep on to the topic of the vaccine. Um, so... Uh, the trial seeks to achieve rapid, reliable results by the s simplicity of the trial design, plus real-time checks on the quality of limited amount of data sought, facilitating high recruitment rates. Hmm. Okay, no, I see what that means now. Yes, yeah, so by the quality of the limited amount of data, yeah, because they don't need that much data. Okay, I see what they're trying to say. Um, I'd want to know more about that, considering we don't know much about COVID-19 in the first place or how it's been mutating there um, there are loads of different uh, I remember I remember reading something about New York and um, I think it was a ton of children a ton of children in I think it was on two different schools contracted some coronavirus which was completely different to what they had around there's uh, and I've even seen from the the vaccine document um, that they will be up for a download and stuff as well. I'll have the links and a Dropbox if people want to download it, just the PDF or they want to go on the site and get it from there as well. Uh, but even in there, they've got different types of strains of the coronavirus. So I'd be curious as to, as to why they only need to look for a limited amount of data, but fair enough if that's... Um, what they're claiming in this journal, we'll see what we'll see we'll see about that when we want to ask questions later. Now, uh, here's where I get a little bit. It wouldn't be conspiracy corner if I didn't have a question to ask at the end of it. Um, so, so funders, vaccine developers, researchers, and government institutions have signed an international statement of collaboration in vaccine research. Fantastic, right? So, on the page uh, of the document, and please test this out as well yourselves, guys, because like I said, you're going to have the links. So go on. And um, the sources for uh, this part, which has the public list of the backers, gave me a page not found. And so did the page about the randomized trial. So I don't know if they, they were clearly there previously because this article is from the, um, what was it? The 27th of August, I think it was. Uh, yeah, August 27th, 2020. So they must have been on there at that point. So why are they not there on the 13th of November if this is what we're supposed to be relying on? But maybe it's not from the WHO anymore. I'm... I, I'm not sure maybe Pfizer aren't part of it and but yeah I'm curious to see if they are running that um I'm going to look more into that one because there is going to be a second video there was way too much to to do look how long we are into this now already so um but yeah I'm going to carry on on to the next bit now and try and at least 
to, to, to fit this on in a, in a smaller bit of time because I know it's a lot going in. It's a lot of information. But uh, let's get it rolling. Let's get it rolling.